Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. And I am glad that you're here this week and I'm glad you're here for this series. I think this is so important that we are talking about being unafraid because I think the reality all too much is that we are afraid. That we have things that scare us. It's different for every person, right? We have horror movies. There are people that are scared of horror movies. You have people who are not scared of horror movies. You have people who walk into a crowded room and they're all of a sudden really tense and they don't want to go any further. And for some people, that's really easy for them to navigate. But for all of us, we have things that get to us. And I think when we talk about our topic this morning about the unknown, we're all a little scared of the unknown because we don't know what it will bring. And yet time after time after time in scripture, Jesus tells us, the Father tells us to fear not. He says, do not be afraid. But you know what he doesn't say to us? He doesn't say, fear not, for this is going to be easy. He doesn't say, do not be afraid. There's nothing scary about it. No, he realizes that we're scared because it's scary. He says, fear not, for I am with you. And he says, fear not, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so how do we get to that moment in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of everything that we are wrestling with? How do we get to that place where we understand that God is with us? And to help us tackle the fear of the unknown this week, we're going to look at the story of Job. And so if you you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I encourage you to open up to the book of Job. We're going to be in chapter 1. It's almost right in the middle. If you open up in the middle, you might get to Psalms or Proverbs. Go over left just a little bit. It looks like it's pronounced Job, okay? But it's Job, and he's a man, and we're going to talk about his life. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we have some at the tables by where you walked in. Feel free to grab one of those, and you could even keep it if you need a copy of the scriptures. But we are going to read a a large quantity of a narrative. And so I didn't put all the words on the screen. And if you don't want to read with me, feel free to close your eyes and let the scripture just give those pictures in your head. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two acts of Job's life. And they parallel each other. They have the same structure as we go through it. And we begin in Job 1, 1 through 5, talking about what is known about Job. We learn about his current realities, and this is what it says. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz, that's right outside of Canaan, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, who was feared God and turned away from evil. Does that mean that Job was without sin? No, it does not. The Bible is very clear that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. So what does this mean? It means that like Abraham, like Noah, he trusted in what God had revealed to that point and had been credited to him as righteousness. This is just letting us know that he is a God follower, that he fears him. And then it says there was a blessing portion of this. It says there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And I thought my two sons and one daughter was a lot. And then it says, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I don't know about you, but that's a lot more than I have. He has very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. And so back then, you didn't measure your wealth in terms of dollars and cents. It was in terms of your animals, your livestock, and your servants. And by those measures, Job had more than anyone else around him. 
in his region, he was the most blessed man. And then we find out about his family. It says his sons used to go and hold the feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And so this is what we know about Job. We know Job was a man who feared God, who trusted in him. We know Job was blessed with a great number of children. He was blessed with great industry, great wealth, great prosperity. He had a lot of security around him, and he had this family that got together. They loved each other. And then he acted as a, like a priest for his family. He would go out and he would offer sacrifices for them in case they had cursed God in their hearts and that he didn't know about it. Thinking about that and as I parent, how can I even take responsibility for my kids and pray for what's in their heart? Job provides a great example about what a man of God can look like. And this is what we know about Job, but there's something that Job doesn't know. It's an unknown reality. It's a heaven reality that's going on that he doesn't have access to. But we have access to it in Job 1.6. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or the accuser, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you gone? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now when I was a child, I was taught that God could not be in the presence of evil. But as I've gotten older and I understand that evil is not just something outside of me, that evil is something that I have within me, I realize that God is everywhere present. And God can be in the presence of evil, but one day he will choose to never be in the presence of evil ever again. But until that day, we have stories like this, where Satan is before God, but then it is God that asks a question to Satan. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, the same description from earlier in the chapter, and God suggests Job to Satan. And Satan responds. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Brian translation, it adds, I double dog dare you. (laughs) Of course Of course he worships you. Of course he blesses you. Look at what you've done to him. You've given him everything his heart can desire. He has a charmed life, a blessed life. Of course he praises your name. Strike his stuff. Take him down and watch him curse you to your face. And God says, you're on. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we see a truth that we'll see throughout the book of Job, that God is in control. Satan couldn't go and do this without God's knowledge 
And God said, listen, I'm going to take some of the authority I have over Job and I'm going to place it into your hand. And he put a limit on it. You may not touch his person, but you may go out and you may run your experiment. And Satan did just that. And in the third act of chapter one, we have the tragedy. It starts in verse 13. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them down and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You see, I imagine Job woke up that day thinking that this was going to be like every other day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time with God and I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to spend time taking care of my business and my empire. And today's going to be a good day because most of my days are good days. And here he is. He's enjoying his time and someone walks in and says, some of the animals are gone and your servants are gone and the air is sucked out of the room. Because Job's blessed, charmed life was just infused with tragedy. And he's got to figure out what to do now with this new unknown. But before he even had time to process that, someone else walked in. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Imagine being in your boardroom and you are going over the numbers and you're looking over everything and the assets are good and everything is good. The markets are up and you're pleased with how things are going. And then you have assistant after assistant who comes in and says things are tanking. Things are going south. Everything is going away. We are losing people. We are losing money. Danger, danger, danger. And Job is having on the fly to digest all of this information, and then another person walks in. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them, struck them down with the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job's security is gone. His privilege is gone. His servants are gone. I think oftentimes when we read this story, we just gloss over those servants. Those are human beings. Those are human beings made in the image of God who have grown up in his house. He has seen them. He knows them. He comes off as if he would be a good master. He has taken care of them and provided for them. He has lost their lives. He has lost his industry, his career. He has lost his security and his wealth. Can you imagine the devastation that this man is feeling right now? And in walks another. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell among the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. I read this story every year as I read through the Bible and so I don't know what was different about it this time. I don't know if it was we're coming off the heels of having um, all the, the, the student helpers and all the children here for student kids, stupid, super kids, super, super kids, super camp. I've said that so many times in my life. You'd think I could say it by now. 
But you have all these this kids and this life and this vitality running around this place, and I'm reading about Job losing his kids. And I'm thinking about my own three children. And Job is sitting there dealing with loss and dealing with pain and dealing with not knowing what his next step is going to look like. And someone comes and says that your children are dead. And we don't have any word if there were grandchildren. We don't know if there were wives involved. But his family is forever changed. So how does Job respond? Verse 20. Then Job arose and he tore his robes and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground. That's what we expect. We expect for Job to be grieving and mourning because this is sad. He is feeling what all of us would feel. We're feeling just rage and grief and mourning. But then it adds two words. It says he fell on the ground and he worshiped. I just want to be honest with you. When I go through loss and tragedy, never even to his level, that's not always my first response. My, my first response when my family has walked through miscarriage is not to jump to worship. My first response when we've dealt with betrayal or tense relationships or parenting moments or, or hardness in marriage is not always to go, thank you God for this. But here, Job, in the midst of this great loss, it says that he worshipped and he uttered these words. He said in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It's a very mature response. Job said, listen, here's the reality. I came into this world with nothing. I came in with not even having clothes on my back. I haven't deserved anything that I've been given from God. I didn't earn it. I can't claim it. And I'm going to walk away in this world. And I'm going to leave with nothing. The kid who dies with the most toys still dies. He can't take it with him. And so the Lord has given and the Lord has taken it away. And in the midst of that, he moves toward his God and he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's an incredibly powerful response that is something that we can aspire to. It is our goal that we can move toward our God in these times. And then comes Act 2. And so the screen doesn't look like it changed very much, but there's some new passages up there. We have a new known about Job. We have a new current reality about Job. Gone are the days of the children and the oxen and the sheep and the donkeys. Gone are the days of blessing, and we now have this curse that he is in. We now have this time where he is living this life that we would never aspire to. Now there's also these unknown realities that take place again that Job has no idea about. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it, same scene as the first. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And if I'm being honest with you as I read that, my response is, Really? 
Really? Like you have to bring up Job again? Like hasn't that man suffered enough? Leave that man alone. Let him go. And God says, no, have you considered my servant Job? And I have to wrestle with something that's very hard. That in the midst of things that I don't understand, that God is still good. That God is still right and righteous. He is still just. Even when I can't see it and I can't understand it. And so when there is something that I can't understand, I have to stand before you and admit that the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. And so Job continues with his, or God continues with his defense of Job. He says, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And what I love about what God said is this. God is not taking himself off the hook. He knows that he is all-powerful. He knows that everything in our lives are in his hands. Now, God did not cause the evil to Job, but he allowed it to happen. We don't understand why, but God allowed it to happen. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. And now I just get angry. Skin for skin? Tit for tat? No big deal? What do you mean it's not a big deal? Job's ten children are dead. His hired servants are dead. His animals are gone. You have devastated this person and you're saying no big deal? He shows his colors. He is the accuser. He is the evil one. Losing life is evil. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. God gives more of his authority to the accuser. He puts another limit on him. You cannot end his life, but you can have at it with him. And Satan goes and does what Satan does. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Can you imagine having sores on your body that the pain is so great that it would feel better to take pottery and to cut yourself with it, hoping to relieve the tension and the pain? Job is sitting here and he is a broken man. He has lost family. He has lost things. And he has lost his health. And then we get the response. It says, then his wife said to him. Now, I've heard sermons before on Job's wife and about what she's about to say. And I want to give you a little bit of a different perspective on Job's wife this morning. You see, those 10 children that Job just lost who do you think gave birth to them? Those servants that Job is grieving because they've grown up in his house, who else do you think has watched them grow up? That security and provision that Job has just lost, it is her security and her provision too. And now she is sitting here watching her husband just torment in physical pain. 
And her response to Job is, are you really going to hold fast to your integrity? Really, now, in this time, in this space, you're going to hold on to God? Look at our lives. They are miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. Curse God and die. Let us get out of here. It is not worth living anymore. And you think about the week that we just had. We just had two high-profile celebrities who had everything that you can want in this world. They had riches and fame. They had notoriety. People loved them. They could go anywhere they wanted to go and do whatever they wanted to do, and they couldn't get over what was in their head. And sadly, they ended their own lives. I read in the USA Today yesterday, that suicide is becoming one of the leading killers in our country. It has surpassed opioids and automobile accidents. It is an epidemic that is going on in our society where people are saying, I can't do this anymore. On the news this week, it said that Kansas is in the top four of states in the U.S. for increased suicide rates. There are people in this room right now who are either struggling with this or know someone who is, and I want to tell you that there's hope. That there is someone who loves you so much that he was willing to die for you so that you don't have to die. There is relief and there is peace that can be found in the person of Jesus. And so don't give up and don't give in. If you need a hand, reach out and we want to grab it and hold you tight because you are worth it and you are loved. And so Job responds to his wife and he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's a different variation of what we had in the first chapter. He says, should we not receive good from God? We never say no when God wants to give us good things. When God wants to pour out the blessing of children and of success and of riches and the physical things of this world, we want to take all of those things. We love when our Father gives us good gifts, but when the opposite comes, should we not still accept that too? And it's hard, and it's not trite, and it's not flippant. But in all of this, it said that Job did not curse God or sin. Job had an incredibly mature response to the unknown and the tragedy that was unfolding all around him. And so how can we do that? See, I'll tell you what happens when I wrestle with the unknown. I want to stand still. I want to stand in a place where I feel like I control, I can control everything going on around me. I get very comfortable in my office chair. I can sit there and I can put my hands on the sides and I can close my door and I think I have some semblance on what's about to happen. I can go into my house and I cannot leave my house. 
And even though we think we can control our kids, we know we can control somewhat what goes on in our house. And we don't have to leave, and we don't have to put ourselves out there. And maybe we don't want to leave our office at work because we don't know what's going to happen, and we want to stay still. At least I know I do. Because I want to control whatever it is that I can control. When I believe what God wants for me is not to stand still. God wants me to move. And I believe that he has three movements for us this morning. And the first is that we can move towards him. God wants us to move towards him. Everything in our being wants to move away from him. We would never utter those words, but our behaviors and our habits betray us. We stop coming to the gathering of the church people because we just can't do it right now. We pull away from his word because we don't like what it says or we don't want to know what it says and we don't pray to him. Because I don't even want to talk to him. I want to yell at him. And we don't think that we can do that. So we just move away from God. Yet Job says, don't move away from God. Move toward God. He said, naked I came in from this world. Naked I'm going to leave. The Lord has given and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to move towards you. And as the story of Job continues to unfold, Job doesn't give this up. And in chapter 19, he says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. There is going to come a day where I will be with him and I will get to see him and I might understand why, but until that day, I know my Redeemer lives and I'm going to move toward him. Job went through some doubts as well. He began to argue with his friends and he got to a place where he really began to feel that it was unfair, that he hadn't done anything that had deserved this and he needed to know and answer why. He wanted to hear from God why this happened to him. And the Lord responds to Job in chapter 38. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And for four chapters, God begins to explain the wonders of his creation. And he shows Job just how completely in control God is at all times. And Job had the right reaction. As Job moved towards God, he was able to trust that this God was in control as evidenced by some of his last words. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job learned what was true. That this God was in control, this God could be trusted in the midst of great unknown, in the midst of great tragedy, Job moved towards him, and then God did something magnificent. God restored some of the physical blessing that had departed. God gave him more children. 
Not that having more children replaces the children that you lost, because you can't replace children. But he gave him a second chance at a family. He gave him more riches and wealth and animals than he had had before. And God gave him in a generous way because God is a generous God who wants to give good gifts to his children. And you and I walk through this world and we walk through tragedy and we might not get that physical blessing that Job did. But here's what I can tell you. That Jesus went from here up into heaven and he prepared a place for us and is preparing one. And it's a place where all of these things that happened to Job will be no more. There will be no sickness or pain, crying or shame. There will be no more sin and death. We will be with our God and he will be, he will be our God and we will be his people. And that is secure. We have this promise that awaits us. But even now in the meantime, we are told in Ephesians that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are rich even when the world wants to make us poor. We can move toward him because he is in control. And there's a second movement that I think we need to make, and that is a movement towards community. I struggled with a word to use here because I wanted to say others first. I want to move towards other people. And then I said we need to move towards people. Right, just move towards people. Well, we say that all the time. We, three things last forever. God, his word, and people. But the story of Job tells us that not all people are the ones we want to move towards. And so we need to move towards community. And I know that that can be somewhat of a cliche word, but I want to explain it. In Job chapter 2, 11 through 13, we get a good explanation of what the body of Christ can look like. It says, now when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. His physical appearance had been so marred, they couldn't tell who he was, and they raised their voices and they wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was very great. Seven days and seven nights, no one spoke a word. This is what we can do. This is what you and I can do. We can show up when we realize that a friend or a brother or a sister is walking through something, we can show up and we can give a hug. We can embrace them. We can cry with them. We can listen to them. We can let them vent and let them feel safe with us. And I know that we struggle saying, I don't know the words to say. I'm right there with you. You put me on the stage and I can say words and I feel comfortable. You put me one-on-one and I second-guess myself. Am I meeting the moment? Am I coming in too high? Am I going too low? Am I, do I have what it takes to, to meet the moment? And I want to tell you, they don't remember what you say. They remember that you're there. And then God in his mercy by his spirit a lot of times does give us those words to say. That even though we feel completely unprepared to match the moment we are able to by the mercy and grace of Jesus. 
And these are the friends that we need. And these are the friends that we want. But these friends who started so strong went south pretty quick. And they went south because they opened their mouths. You see, they began to describe for Job why he was suffering. And they said, Job, the reason that you're suffering is because you are a sinful, sinful man and you need to repent. Job, this is all your fault. Job, God doesn't do this to people who are blameless. You have things you need to confess. Job, you did this to yourself. And I'm reminded of the story of Jesus. When he's walking with his disciples and they find a blind man. They run toward the blind man and the first thing they say is not, Lord, heal him. It's, Lord, who sinned? Is it his sin or his parents' sin so that he was born blind? Jesus said, it's neither. That man wasn't born blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents. No, this man was born blind for this very moment where I'm going to show up and I'm going to heal him and he is going to know and you are going to understand who I am. You say, well, maybe you're being a little harsh on these friends. Maybe, maybe they weren't so bad. And, and I point you to Job chapter 42, verse 7. And it says this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you. And I want to stop there for just a second. You never want to be on the other side of that sentence. When the Lord said, my anger burns against you, that is always bad. So why does his anger burn against Eliphaz and the two friends? My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. You see, Jesus did not tell us that they will know you belong to me by the way you quote scripture. He does not say that they will know you belong to me by the way that you can interpret the text. He doesn't say they will know that you belong to me by the way you interpret the lives of the people around you and show them where they're at fault. No, he says they will know that you belong to me by the way you love one another. Church, we have to love one another when we are walking through these things. We have to show up for one another. And if you are the one walking through the tragedy, you have to resist isolating yourself. And I know that pull. I know that pull of saying, I can't go there. I can't say that. They will know the truth about me. They will know that my marriage isn't as good as I want to make it believe it is. That we fought on the way to church. They will know that I'm not doing as great of a job with my kids as I think that I should. They will know that my company is not running the way that it should and that business isn't going well. They will understand that I'm a failure. And it's okay. Because I'm a failure too. And I fall short time and time and time again. And I have to resist the urge to isolate. And I have to move towards those brothers and sisters in my life who will come around me and will love me and cry with me and yell with me and sit with me and do whatever is needed so that I might find healing. My hope for this church is that we will be a place where it is okay to not be okay. 
where we can come in and drop the mask and stop hiding and find the healing that we need. There's one more movement for us. Because we are a people who are dealing with diagnosis and we are dealing with divorce. We are dealing with conditions and pain and loss. And what we want is for everything to be solved. And sometimes we stand still because we're waiting for that magic elixir to come when what we need is not to stand still, but we need to take our next wise step. When your feet are cemented into the ground, don't try and hop all the way for the finish line. Take that next wise step. And for many of us in that room, that next wise step is just a movement towards God. It is engaging the people of God in a corporate basis on a weekend to hear his truth and to sing his praises because we need each other. It is coming and saying, God, I'm going to find you in the scriptures even when I don't want to because I know I need you to speak through your spirit, through your word, into my heart. And God, I'm going to pray to you and it might start by yelling at you and it might start by crying to you and I might get angry and might get sad, but I believe it will end in your affection towards God because that you will know that you are deeply loved by him even in the midst of things that you can't control because you know he is in control. Your next wise step might be simply moving towards community, re-engaging that group that you have left behind, re-engaging that men's group, that women's group, that small group, that rooted group that you left beyond because you didn't want to talk about things that were going on in life and saying, no, I need you in my life. I'm going to reach out and get help because I can't do this alone. And I want to tell you today that there's hope. There was hope for Job in the midst of great, incredible loss. There is hope for you in the midst of a marriage that isn't going the way you thought it would be. There is hope for you in the midst of voices that are in your head telling you that you are not good enough because you have a God who is. And he is in control. And he wants you to move to him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the words of Job. I'm thankful for his story. I'm thankful for his faithfulness. Father, that he modeled for us. And Father, we fall short. It's what we do. You know this about us, but you love us anyway. You loved us enough that you sent your one and only sin to cover our sin, to cover our shame, to heal us and to forgive us so that we might live with you. And Father, I pray than in the midst of our brokenness that we would move towards you. In the midst of our fear that we would move towards you. In the midst of tragedy that we would move towards you. And Father, that you would bring us around, that we would be the community of the saints, a community of the broken who have been restored by you and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.